Thank you, Joyful Sounds Choir, for a reminder of the importance of the cross and the difference that it makes. We're going to talk about the cross in just a few minutes. Uh, I want to start this morning by giving you some news that you may already know, but one of the greatest crises in the world today has been changed this week. This past week, one of the greatest upheavals that had been happening in our society was reversed. When the NFL officials came back to the field. Thursday night, the replacement refs were gone and the real officials were back. And the officials got a standing ovation when they came onto the field. Now, usually in a game... When do you notice an official? Usually. When a call's wrong, right? It was interesting in the game, I watched a part of the game Thursday night, it was interesting in the game, as the game was going on, that suddenly, after the officials that they had given standing ovations to, called a penalty against the home team, the boos started raining down again on the officials. Now, We know that uh, certain officials make bad calls and they're human. Uh, Sometimes it seems that certain teams get better calls than other teams. I mean, when you go into Rupp Arena, you know the Rupperies are going to give Kentucky every call. Right, Wallace? Right? That's what I thought. Good. Can I get an amen out there? Yeah, probably. I got some oh no's and be quiet, but... There are words that can either strike hope or dread in your heart when you're watching a football game. It's the words, upon further review. Right? Instant replay in a football game. Now, if you don't watch football, you can just pretend for a minute that you do. Alright? When they have a play, for instance, somebody catches a pass and they call it a touchdown and the home team is going nuts and then the ref comes out and says, upon further review. Now either they say the call is right or the call is wrong. But in that moment, your whole attitude is hinging on the words that are to follow. And it's amazing how your perspective changes based on what he says. Sometimes something that looked great suddenly becomes tragic. And something that looked tragic suddenly becomes great. Well, today we're continuing our series of messages called Greater. And what we want to do today is... Look at what happens when life doesn't turn out like you expect it when you step forward in faith with the Lord. You see, the last couple of weeks we've talked about living the greater life. And we've been talking about this prophet Elisha who left everything and burned his plows and followed after the prophet Elijah and in turn the Lord. And he became this great prophet. And last week we talked about that story, remember, where he, uh, they needed rain, the armies did. And Elisha said, well, go start doing what? Start digging ditches, right? Get ready for the rain that's going to come. And so they go out and they do it and they dig all the ditches. And when they get done in the morning, the floodwaters come and it fills it up and they're able to go on to victory. 
But life will teach you that sometimes you dig the ditches and the water doesn't come. Sometimes you're out there all night digging the ditches and the morning all you've got is a sore back and calloused hands. That there are moments when you expect God to move and in return, God doesn't. And what I want to focus on today is that sometimes the journey towards this greater life of God is marked with setbacks and suffering. Sometimes as your faith is getting greater, your situation is getting worser. And I know that may not be a word. But it fits. Sometimes you pray in great faith. You act in great faith. Great obedience. And the miracle still doesn't come. The ditch stays dry. You only have one jar of oil. You've done everything you know to do. You think you're following the Lord exactly like He called you to follow. And then nothing seems to happen. The road to great things is not a straight line. It's marked by the messiness of life. It's marked by tragedy. Rain doesn't come in the morning. Instead, your body's left thirsty, sore, stiff. Sometimes it seems as if God is silent. Maybe you're one of those people that tries to step out in greater things for your marriage and your husband still walks out. Maybe you've stepped outside of your small understanding of God and prayed big prayers and the tumor is still there. Maybe you launch a new business or a new career in faith, but it fails and you're back at square one. And those times it's tempting to say things like, all prayers are answered, just not in the way we would want. But truthfully, there are moments when it just hurts. It's baffling sometimes how God can show up in the most dramatic ways to orchestrate the most minute details of our lives. But it seems sometimes in those big moments and those desperate situations that he seems absent. Elisha wasn't unfamiliar with that kind of story. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to follow immediately after the story we ended with last week. You remember the story we ended last week? There was this widow who needed oil. We touched on it briefly. She needed oil. She only had a little bit. She gave what she had to the Lord, and it started to multiply. She was able to pay off her debts. Immediately after telling that story, in verse 8, it goes on to tell us about another woman who was involved with Elisha. Verse 8 tells us that one day Elisha went to Shunem. Now here's what you need to know about that. On his regular treks, uh, uh, Elisha was living at Mount Carmel. Okay, what, who, who had a big day at Mount Carmel? Elijah, right? That's where the prophets of Baal, that's where Elisha was living. And he was having to travel back and forth several times. And oftentimes on his route, he would stop at this place or go by this place called Shunem. There was a prominent woman in town who lived there and she persuaded him to eat some food. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. Now, this is kind of like her place became for him like a cracker barrel on the interstate. You know what I mean? You get hungry and you're driving down and you just look for an exit with a cracker barrel. All right? My 
grandfather, when he was still driving, we would go 20 exits past regular food to get to a Cracker Barrel. Now, I live right down the street from one now. It's not quite as enticing, but when you were in Dyersburg, Tennessee, you wanted the barrel, all right? Her house was like that. Now, here's the kind of interesting thing. We won't read it, but just kind of tell it. The interesting thing is, she and Elisha kind of strike up this relationship where she recognizes him as a man of God, and he starts coming pretty frequently. In fact, he's probably there um, several times a year eating with her and her husband. And it's just one of those things that they're the kind of people that take him in. In fact, she says there are times when he's here and he's staying late because he's eating and he doesn't need to make the 20-mile journey back to Mount Carmel. And so she convinces her husband to make a spare room for the prophet. The Bible goes into detail talking about furniture that they get and getting it set up just so. And so she and Elisha have this relationship and her family where this prophet of God is an important man to them. She believes him. She trusts him. She feeds him. She, they put him up for the night. And so Elisha thinks for a minute, I need to be able to do something for this family. And so he's got an assistant, kind of like he was Elijah's assistant, although his assistant is not quite as faithful to the Lord. He says in verse 13 to Gehazi, his assistant, say to this woman, look, you've gone through all this trouble for can we? What can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? The idea is maybe she needs some protection. Maybe she needs somebody to come and make sure nothing happens to her. She goes, no, no, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm living among my people. Then he asks his assistant, then what can we do for her? And Gehazi says, well, she has a, no son. And her husband is very old. This idea of childlessness or infertility is rampant in Scripture. Abram and Sarah. Hannah. Even in the New Testament, you get Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now here's another instance where it's a lady who just can't have children. And Elisha the prophet says, call her and say to her, at this time next year, you will have a son in your arms. Now her reaction is interesting. Her reaction is not what you would expect. You know, you would expect joy, excitement. You would expect a complete bewilderment even. Remember, Sarah, how did she react? She laughed. Elizabeth gets excited and when Mary comes, she gets even more excited because John the Baptist jumps in the belly. Here's her reaction. No, no, no. Elisha, no. Man of God, do not deceive your servant. What she says is, don't, don't, don't play with my emotions here. Don't, don't say something that's not going to happen. I can't get my hopes up for that. She had been through years of hearing the whispers. She had been through years of seeing people around her be blessed with children, knowing that, that was never going to be her fate. 
She had been through years of wanting and wishing and hoping and desiring. And when Elisha says it, she's like, it is too good to be true. Don't tell me that unless it's really going to happen. Some of you have been there before, maybe not with infertility, but maybe with infertility. We were. I remember when Susan and I um, were told that we couldn't have children. And we had tried and we were hoping and Susan and I were both people in our premarital counseling. The thing, One of the things that most uh, brought us together was our desire to be parents and our desire to have kids. And we talked through that with our counselor. And he said, man, I, y'all are ready for this. Y'all, y'all have the right perspectives. Y'all will be great parents. And we just felt, you know, people, oh, you'll be a great dad someday. Susan's going to be a great mom. And then nothing. And all those moments when all those moments when you'd see friends that you were supposed to be really happy for them because they were being blessed with a child, and but yet there was that twinge of, what about us? Maybe for you it's not infertility. Maybe it's a business venture. You see people succeeding all around, and you're not. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've tried to get over, over and over and over. And the idea sometimes you get so used to that, that any glimmer of hope becomes something that you're not sure you want to grasp onto. We've been living our lives so long that any promise of greater smacks of a potential to disappoint us. So she says, no, 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 don't, don't, don't play with my emotions like this. But guess what happens? She has a son, right? Verse 17, I love this. The woman conceived and gave birth. That's all it says. Look, don't get my hopes up. And then it just says, well, there wouldn't any need getting your hopes up because it was going to happen. All right? As Elisha has promised. But then look what happens. You know, most people think in the Bible that would be, and they lived happily ever after. But the Bible is a book of truth and reality not a fairy tale and fantasy. Verse 18. The child grew and one day went out to his father in the harvesters. Now, most scholars feel he was probably 8, 9, 10 years old. So you can think of uh, Eli. If you, know, if, you know, if you have an 8 or 9 year old in your life, think of him. Or Eli, about Eli's age. Eli's 9 today. or at the, Not today. It's not his birthday. But he is 9. He complained to his father, my head, my head. And so his father said, carry him to his mother. So he picked him up, took him to his mother. The child sat on her lap until noon and died. There are rarely more disappointing and sad scriptures in the Bible than that. If you're a parent, you can easily envision that moment. Son comes in, his head's hurt, something's wrong. As a mom, she knows it's wrong. She's holding him, she's with him until noon, and he dies in her arms. She summoned, or excuse me, verse 21. She went up, and this is an interesting thing she does, to the spare room. Who had she made the spare room for? Elisha. Laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut him in, and left. She summoned her husband and said, please send one of the servants and one of the donkeys so I can hurry to the man of God and then come back. And he says, but 
<laughs> Why are you going to him today? It's neither new moon or Sabbath. And she replied, everything's all right. Really, she didn't reply that eloquently. She just says, peace. In fact, it's the kind of word that you would say to somebody when you were trying not to answer. When you were trying to move on to something else. When you were trying to get out of the way. She just says, peace, I'm done. And she gets out of there. She saddled the donkey, said to the servant, hurry, don't slow the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to his attendants, Gehazi, look, there's a Shunammite woman. Run out to meet her and ask, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your sons all right? And what does she say to the servant? Peace. Same thing. Just, I don't need to say anything to my husband. I don't need to say anything to this man. I need to get to the prophet. When she comes up to the man of God at the mountain, she clung to his feet. That would have been inappropriate and not acceptable in their society, but she didn't care. Gehazi tries to push away, but man of God says, leave her alone. She's in severe anger, and the Lord is hidden from me. He hasn't told me what's going on. And then she says to him, she goes back to that original conversation. Didn't I tell you not to get my hopes up? I didn't ask you for a son. I didn't ask for a child. I had come to the place in my life when I was okay being okay. And you dangled the carrot of something greater. And I finally bought in only to have it bring the biggest devastation I've ever experienced. Didn't I tell you not to give me false hope? Sometimes in life when we think everything seems to be going okay, we get hit in the face with reality. And sometimes in life we take that to mean that in some way God has abandoned us or forgotten us or even sometimes that we have chosen the wrong path. But here's the thing that Scripture shows us over and over and over again. That when you step out in faith to live for the Lord, things often get harder, not easier. Things often get foggier, not clearer. Things often get worse, not better. In fact, in the New Testament, it tells us that as believers of Christ, we need to embrace the difficulty that comes in following Him. Right? You know the verse that Paul says, right? When he says, I want to know Christ, right? And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is one of those books where he's writing to people who are being actively persecuted by their government. In fact, Peter is writing to people and would say to them, uh, honor your government. Submit to your government. And the thing is, he was asking them to submit to an emperor named Nero who was literally burning Christians at the stake to light the way to his house for parties. And in the midst of that kind of discussion, Peter encourages them to embrace whatever God brings their way. And he says to them, you were called 
to this. Lizzie Eyde, as I spoke that, it was just one of those things that the Lord, I had studied it, I had looked at it, but as the words came out of my mouth, it just hit me with a, it was like I was hit in the face with, you were called to this. That the greater life sometimes is a difficult life. I don't know where we get the idea that living for God means an easier life here. Because it's nowhere in Scripture. Greater life, yes, because of the peace and the joy. But not necessarily externally better. This woman comes up and she's got that same kind of thought. I was fine being who I was. And sometimes when you step out in faith with the Lord, things get worse. So how do we deal in that moment? Well, we're going to see how Elisha deals with it in just a moment. Because sometimes God brings a good result here and now. But sometimes we have to trust that the Lord is going to win in the end. Sometimes, like in the case of Susan and I, the Lord provides. We have four happy, healthy children that we are blessed beyond measure to have. But sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes the Lord provides a diagnosis that the tumor has shrunk or it got all of it in the surgery. And everything's going to be okay. You're in full remission. And sometimes He doesn't. And whether He does or He doesn't, the thing that we have to keep is the long-term understanding. Someone has said that as a believer in Christ, every one of us is a trust fund baby. You know what a trust fund baby is? Somebody that's got a trust fund waiting on them when they mature, right? Usually it's not a... If you've got a trust fund, it's not for like 15 bucks, all right? The Lord has established for us a reward and an inheritance and a future that is unbelievable. But we may not get it. We know we're not going to get all of it till we're mature. And I don't mean like 20. I mean the other side. But that doesn't stop us from continuing to act in faith. You know what I love about this story and this woman? Her first thought when that child died was to go to the one man she knew could do something about it. She didn't need anybody else. She needed the prophet. Now, by the way, if the story ended here, it would be really depressing, right? Some of you already got that look on your life, on your face. Like, let's get to the good part. Let's go. Here's what happens. Elisha just said to Gehazi, he doesn't speak to her. Tuck your mantle under your belt. Take my staff with you and go. If you meet anyone, don't stop to greet him. If a man greets you, don't answer him. Place my staff on the boy's face. Now, some people, what is he doing? What's he, why is he putting a staff on his face? A couple of ideas out there. One is just the very practical nature of it. At some point, the dad's going to become worried about the son. And he's going to search the house till he finds the son. It's not like she could bolt lock the door. All right, They didn't have those. And when she finds the son, if it's the dad and it's a few of his workers, what are they probably going to do with the son? Bury him, right? And so from a very practical stance, it's to put something on there to say, the prophet is coming, do not do anything with the boy. There are some people that think that he did that knowing that this assistant of his, who we'll see in another story, is not the most faithful assistant to the Lord, is he wants to try to do it himself. 
And he thinks, well, if he takes, if I take his staff, it'll show to him that it's only through God's power you can do this, not through me. And so he gets there, he puts the staff on them, and nothing happens. The boy's mother said to Elisha, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he got up and he followed her. Gehazi went ahead, put the staff on it. So he went back to meet Elisha and said, the boy didn't wake up. Like I didn't do, I couldn't do anything. It reminds me of when the disciples come back. You remember the disciples come back to Jesus and say, we couldn't do anything. When he got to the house, he discovered the boy lying dead on his bed. He went in, closed the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. It almost plays out exactly like his mentor Elijah's resurrection of the child or resuscitation. He went up and laid on the boy eye to eye, hand to hand, just means he was right there. He put down over him, the boy's flesh became warm. And then you have one of the strangest kind of things that you could have. Elisha got up, went into the house, paced back and forth. He went up, bent down over him again, and the boy sneezed seven times. The most glorious snot in the history of the world. And opened his eyes, right? Snot is generally not something you enjoy as a parent, but I'm going to bet this humanite woman loved the snot, all right? Y'all don't quote me on that on Twitter or Facebook or anything, right? Elisha called Gazi and said, call the Shemite. When he called her, she came. Elisha said, pick up your son. She came, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. She picked up her son and left. Here's the thing that we have to begin to ask ourselves. We need to begin to reevaluate what disappointment is in our lives and ask the question how God is using it. Somebody I read this week said, God never wastes any of our faith. In fact, sometimes our faith is credited to that trust fund account awaiting us. Sometimes He rewards us here and now, but sometimes He rewards us then and there. We need to continually be faithful to Him. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation, and after that, we're going to spend a few moments taking the Lord's Supper together. I couldn't help but think this week as I knew the Lord's Supper was coming about the idea of a palm further review. You see, for the greatest reversal of any call in history was He is no longer here. He is risen. The greatest change in emotion in history was an empty tomb. But that tomb would not have meant anything without the cross on which He died. This morning, as we come to this time of celebration of the Lord's Supper, I wonder if there are those of you here who are in that moment when your life is continually seems like it's getting worse, even though you're trying to step further out for the Lord. And this morning, you need to come and pray, Lord, I need better perspective, or I need You to give me comfort and peace in this moment. Maybe you're here, and you've been here for the last two or three weeks, and you've thought about burning some plows, and you've thought about stepping out and some digging some ditches, but you're worried about what life will be like. And the Lord's calling you today to say, don't worry about the here and now. You worry about whether you're being faithful to me. This morning you need to come and talk to me or pray here at the front. I'm just going to ask you to do whatever the Lord calls you to do. Let's pray together.